listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, I know some of you are smiling real big this morning, so congratulations. You're lucky. I had things planned to say. Okay. But when, when in your offense outscores the Braves, come talk to me, okay? Uh, just, just saying. I mean, congratulations on the win, but you got to outscore the Braves. All right, we'll, we'll deal with that when you guys face Bama. Um, we're in First Peter, so go ahead and turn there. Um, First Peter chapter 1. If you're our guest, we've been working our way through this little letter. We're in our fourth week of about 15 or 16, uh, and so that's where we're going to be. Uh, because of, you know, what I do, obviously, church names interest me. You know, so I'm driving through a town, I see a church, I'll get on its website or something, because there's something about a name that sometimes, not always, but will tell you about the church. And so in the, in the past, in the olden days, you know, especially older historical churches, you know, churches were named based on where they were. So it's so-and-so street, Main Street Baptist Church, and, you know, East Side Presbyterian, and Midtown, you know, Lutheran, or whatever, and that told you something about the church, where it was located. Or you have, you know, uh, first this, second this, third this, right, which tells you that First, this split, second split failed, and so they tried it on a third time, is what that tells you often. Uh, and in the last 20, 30 years, it's kind of been like what I call hipster church names, which are fine, but they're just cool, right? And so it's like relevant church, or relate, or, you know, uh, vertical, or, you know, just something cool that you're like, oh, that's interesting, right? Tells you something. And then you have the biblical name churches, you know, Grace Community and Trinity Fellowship and, you know, things that pull things out of Scripture. Or, you know, if you're really kind of cool, you use the original language, you know, like Greek, like Ecclesia, which just means church. Ecclesia, but it sounds better, Ecclesia. Or uh, Kairos, which just means time or season, right? But, you know, and, and so that it tells you something about their church. Um, there's a church in Savannah, I mean, in Jacksonville that I would go to if I lived in Jacksonville because it's a great church called Church of 1122. Don't know what 1122 means, but it's a cool name. And it's a great church, actually. It's a great church, great pastor down there, does a great job. Um, so, uh, and even our name, you know, very simple community Bible, kind of born out of the, the community church movement. But for us, Acts 242 says that the early church was committing themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship or the koinonia. We, we would use the word community. And so our name is, tells you something about us. It's our two of our core values, the apostles' teaching, the Bible, and fellowship, community. And so it tells you something, it should, about us, um, who we are and what we are. And, and that's good. And I was thinking about it this week, if we were going to completely rebrand Rename the church. Start from not scratch, but like, hey, we want to rebrand. What would we name ourselves? What would I want us to, what, to be known as? Right? How, how do we want to advertise? And I, and I came up with something. And you're, you're going to roll your eyes, but you got to hear me out because I have a biblical reason. Right? I think a great name would be the Church of Philadelphia. <laughs> All right? And here's, it's a, it's a biblical, it is a biblical idea. So bear with me. Number one, read the book of Revelation. There's seven churches that, that Jesus addresses. Seven. And with every one of them, he says, this stinks, this is wrong, this is bad, this is bad, except for one. There's one church that he has nothing bad to say. In fact, he says, I got nothing against y'all. Which one? Church of Philadelphia. That's right. Secondly, if we're going to be known for something, if our name means something, what better than brotherly, familial love? Wouldn't that be a great thing to be known for? Yes, it would. See? So there's a biblical 
precedent for renaming the Church of Philadelphia, right? And, and in all seriousness, and we're not, I mean, the elders are probably like, What's, where's he going? We, we're not, I don't know anything about this. We're not renaming the church, okay? That would be too much paperwork and a problem. But if we're going to be known by something, what should we be known by? What name should we be called? And, and as much as I love the church of Philadelphia, that's actually not good enough. There's another name that's even better that Jesus would want us to be known by. What is it? That's what we're going to look at today in 1 Peter. Something that he wants us. Because, you know, churches are known for things, right? Every church has a strength and weakness. Maybe it's, this church does great overseas missions, or this church has great facilities, great production, great music, they get, you know, great preaching, great kids' ministries, great coffee, whatever. All in themselves, not bad things. But Jesus doesn't say that those are requirements. But this, the name he's going to mention in here, it is. So that's what we're going to look at today in 1 Peter 1. And we're going to be studying verses 23 all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, which is only six verses, but sounds like it's a lot because you go into another chapter. Um, if you're, again, a guest, if you forget where we've been, Peter has been writing to a group of Christians who are living in modern-day Turkey. For them, it was Asia Minor, and they're scattered. I mean, large swath of area. And he's writing them, and he calls them exiles. And they said they're in exile, and it's not that they're not living in their hometown. It's just now, because they are following Jesus, they don't fit. They're foreigners, they're aliens, they're strangers. They've been displaced because of their faith. And now they're facing heat from the outside and their struggle because of their faith. And it hasn't gotten to like the persecution stage of like Nero yet, but it's coming soon. It's kind of the early, early warning signs. And so they're, they're discouraged. And so he is writing to encourage them to persevere. And the first 10, 15 verses we saw, he reminds them, no, 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 here's who you are. Don't forget your identity. You're chosen. You are his. You're sanctified. You are sprinkled with his blood. And then he reminds them of their future. You have an inheritance. This is where it's all going. And then last week, we, we talked about what is it like to live in light of our future, right? There's some obligations to God that he wants from us. One, we're getting our minds ready for action. And we're, we're, our actions are holy because he is holy. And we live in our time during exile fearfully, reverently. Why? Because we've been bought with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless. And all those spoke of our kind of obligations to God, our vertical relationship with God in light of what he's done in light of our future. Today, he's going horizontal. He's going to say, okay, that's, that's what I expect from y'all from me. Here's what I expect from you. Here's the name I want you to be known by. And that is where we're going. And I want to give you the structure of our passage before we jump in, because one of the reasons we study through books of the Bible is to help you learn how to study through the Bible. So you're not like, I don't know anything, I don't know how to study, I feel. So just doing this every week kind of gives you an idea how to study. And one of the most important things when you're really trying to dig in is to look at the structure of a passage, right? All the English teachers are like, yes. But look at the structure of a passage, how it fits together, where he's going, little keywords like since, for, because of, the action, the verbs, the commands, those are important to the structure. And so the way our passage lays out today, there's kind of four movements of the passage. In verse 22, the first part, he's going to give us the, the, the preconditions or the prerequisites for the command. These things have to be in place if you're going to do this. Then he gives the command, the new name that he wants us to be known by, and then he's going to give the reason, the rationale behind it the why, and then he, in verses one through three, is going to tell us the how. And this is often how letters, epistles work, right? So you have the conditions, the prerequisites, the command itself, the rationale, and then the how. And so that's the way we're going to work through the text. Let me read our entirety of our text. It's not long, and then we'll unpack it. 
And again, as I read this, remember, this is, what I'm about to do is more important than anything else I'm going to say. Because this is God speaking. You're like, I want to know the will of God for my life. I'm about to tell you what it is. Okay? So this, this is God's word to you, his church, 2021, Savannah, Georgia. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the first verse deals with the preconditions, as I call them, or the prerequisites. Did you catch them? There's two of them in this verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. All right, there's the first one. It's a participle in the original. This is true of you. It's in the past. It's happened. Your soul has been purified. How? By your obedience to the truth. It is not saying that I obey and thus I'm made pure. That's not what he's saying. The, word, the words obedience to the truth is tatamount. It's synonymous to your faith. Your obedience to the truth is your faith in the truth. In the good news, he says, that it was preached to you, that you were born again. So he said, because of your faith, exiles, you have, past tense, been Purified, And it's a word, that's, it's, it's past tense, but it's also with present results. You were purified, you are purified, and you always will be purified. That is true of you because of your faith. That is true right now as you came in this room. And that's significant because let's be honest. If we were going to rename the church and we were going to be honest what our name should be, what would it be if you were in charge, if your life was represented? No one would come to it because it would be like, Church of the pervert. Church of the blasphemer. First inebriated of Savannah. Eastside addicts. And come to our youth ministry. We call it the disses. Disrespect, disobey. That would be the name, wouldn't it? And worse. That's the, that's the point. But the, the good news of, of what this reminds us is this. Just like Paul says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. That was you. But that's not what you are now. You've been purified. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. It's a great reality of where we're at, right? Because of your faith, you are pure. That's a prerequisite. That's a precondition. That's taking place. The second thing he says, you have been purified for your souls to or for a sincere brotherly love. There's a purpose there. And it's the, it's the word Philadelphia. You were forgiven and purified for, for what? To be in a family. To have family relationships. That's one of the reasons God purified you, so that you could be part of his family. He adopted you. You can call him father. He cleansed you. He washed you. And he gave you a new family. Brand new. That's one of the reasons. But, and the reason I say these are prerequisites, these are preconditions, is, is this. He is going to call you to something deeper than just brotherly love. But that is the starting place. And if you don't have brotherly love, you're not going to be able to do 
the next thing. If you have not been purified of your sins, if his spirit does not dwell in you, if the vertical relationship with God is not dealt with, there's no way you can deal with this one. So these are preconditions. You have to be purified and you have to be part of the family. And so my question, just quick application would be this. Do you know that number one, you're purified? And number two, are you part of the family? Do you see this? See, we got to start seeing the, our, these people in this room as a family. This is why membership matters. This is why belonging matters. This is family. This is not just something you come to on a Sunday morning that's on your way to Tybee or Barnes. This is your new family. And you're like, I don't know if I want to be with those people forever. Well, you better get used to them because eternity is a long time. You can't hide. And that's the preconditions to, to doing what God calls us to do, which is deeper than just like each other a little bit, sing with each other a little bit. It's deeper than that, right? So that's the preconditions. And then the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Well, didn't he just say love? He did, but he switches his Greek words here and the Greek ideas. He uses the word phileo or Philadelphia, brotherly love, and now he switches it to that ever famous word that we all from grew up in church, we've heard it before, uh, agape, right? The command is to love. The Greek word is agape or agapeo is the verb form of this here. And it speaks of God's divine love, of God's love for us. It's unconditional that moves him to action for God's so love that he gave it speaks of unconditionalness, of divine, fervent, non-superficial, seeking the best in others, love. And it do it from what? A pure heart. Well, where do we get the pure heart? Because of our faith. You had to have the pure heart to have this kind of divine love. That is the idea, right? That's why Philly Church, it's a good name. But it's not the name he wants to give us. What he wants us to be known as is Agape. Agape church, the, ch- the love that I have for you. And before we dig into what that is, because that's the, that's, the, that's the lion's share of this sermon. What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that mean for us? Let me give you real quick the rationale behind it. Why does he say this, right? This is reasoning. And you get that key word in 23, since. Because since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He says, this is why, because you are born again, because I took your heart of stone and I made it a heart of flesh, because I took you out of, you were my enemy and I made you my family. And if you're gonna be holy, remember we talked about, we gotta be holy because he is holy. Part of holiness is love. Why? Because Jesus is love. And if I'm gonna represent him, I love. This is who I am. This is who I've made you. This is what I've made you become. How did I do that? Through the living and abiding word of God. And he uses this, this image of a seed. I took a seed. What is the seed? The seed is God's word. And I put it inside you. And what happened? It exploded. It took off. It grew. And this seed is imperishable. This seed lasts. Everything else, the grass withers, the flower falls. He quotes Isaiah. But the word of the Lord, that which brought you to faith in me, endures forever. See, the word of God is how you got in this thing. The word of God is how you know. You didn't look outside and say, there's a tree. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus must have became uh, a man, died on a cross for my sins, rose again. And if I believe in him, I can have eternal life. Thanks, tree. That's not how it happened. It happened because someone told you, this is what God's word says. Jesus came and, and fill in the blank. The gospel, this is the good news that was preached to you. It's the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Right? And here's the logic. 
here's where Peter's going. God says, I've given you a forever family. I've made you a family. I'm your father. These are your brothers and sisters. I did it through my word, which lives and endures forever. Now, I've even given you the capacity and my spirit and my word, which dwells in you, to do this. Go and love each other fervently from a pure heart. Go love each other like I have loved you. Be known by that. And I was thinking about this week. We all know that. Anyone come to church today and not know that God says love each other? So what's the problem? Let's be honest, what's the problem? What keeps you from loving these people? I can, I can give you a couple reasons, and this is just me brainstorming. I don't like what they believe about fill in the blank. I don't like their political party. I don't like their sports team. I don't like what they did to me. I don't like, they're annoying. They just are annoying to hang out with. I don't like them. Uh, I don't like her hair. I'm jealous of how much they have and I don't have. They wounded me. They sued me back in 88. Fill, fill in the blank. Also, or here's one I think that's, that's probably more true than we'd like to admit. They don't, it doesn't do anything for me to love them. I get nothing out of that. There's no advantage to me to love them besides obedience to God. All sorts of reasons. Right? And here's what, here's what the point, I think, of the passage, where Peter goes to the word of God. All that stuff, yeah, they sued you in 88. Yeah, you lost your business. Yeah, they lied to you. Yeah, they cheated on you. They, they were horrible parents. Yeah, they were a bad professor. Yeah, fill in the blank. That is perishable. That's perishable. It doesn't last. It doesn't matter. No one, an eternity is gonna be like, man, they sued you in 88? Wow, that was bad. Is that still in the books up here? They, they did this to you. They did what to you? They, they were mean to you. They, they were different than you. They were on this side of the aisle. You were on that side of the aisle. That's perishable. And his point is, you have something in you that is imperishable. So stop letting the temporal get in the way of the eternal. Stop letting the disposable take priority over what is eternal. That's his point. Right? That's the whole idea. And we do it all the time. There's not a person in this room they didn't come in this morning, whether they want to admit it or not, that their deepest desire is to be loved like this. And there's not a person in the world that that's not their deepest desire either. And the world has been trying to unite and love each other and just be nice and just be nice for how long? Oh, ever since the Tower of Babel. How are we doing? Not so good. You know why? Because the only people that really ultimately have the capacity to love in this way are the people who've been born again, that have the word of God and the spirit of God in them. And that's why it is such a crying shame when Christians fight and are mean and are nasty to each other because we're the only ones that have the capacity and the command to do it and we don't do it. And thus we're not named Agape Church. Right? And so I want to dig in a little bit on what is it, what are we talking about when we talk about agape and love and loving each other? I want to give you a working definition first, because there's a lot of confusion on love, right? I mean, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more, right? I mean, it, the, our culture thinks love is I can just love who I want. You hear that a lot. I just love is what I can love what I want, love who I want. Or love is the bachelor. You know, I've spent two weeks on a helicopter in Jamaica. I love that person. Yeah, I, I'm sure you do. Or, you know, you find out about love from a vampire story. Great. That's awesome. You live forever as vampires killing people. That's phenomenal. What is love? And so I want to give you a definition. It's not my definition. It's God's definition. And I just want you to sin in it. 
Just listen to it. You've heard this passage before. You know this definition. But I think before we dig in to some other, it's just worth, it's worthy of hearing fresh. All right? And ask yourself, uh, is this you? And it's the Apostle Paul. And some of you had this right at your wedding. But it's a great definition. Love is patient. Love is kind. I've, we've already failed. Love it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and here's the hard one, endures all things. And if you're in a community group this week, you don't even need Coleman's questions. No offense, Coleman. Just sit on that for a while. Actually, you should do Coleman's questions. They're good. But that's right there. That's love. But I thought, kind of digging a little bit deeper, because you could talk about love. We can talk about love for weeks, right? It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's first fruit of the Spirit. What, what does that look like for us? And if you could talk to Peter, I heard a preacher do this, and I thought, that's a great idea. I'm going to kind of dig into that a little bit. Well, if you could talk to Peter, if you could bring Peter out from heaven and say, tell us what you're talking about when you're talking about Jesus loved you. Tell us how you experienced God's love firsthand in your life, Peter. Tell us about that. What would he tell you? And I came up with four things, right? And there's obviously more than that, but four episodes that we have from the Gospels on how Peter was loved by Jesus. And I think some of these are practical for us, and I think we can take these with us so that we can wear the mantle agape church, right? And these, some of you were like, oh, I do this, and some of you not, but they'll hit where they hit. But here, here's four things. First one, love moves first, initiates, starts, right? And if you ask Peter, tell me the first time you really felt loved by God. And you, know, you can read the early gospels, Peter called by God, you know, Jesus walks by and he says, hey, follow me, and they follow. But there's an, there's an incident early on, right by after his, his initial calling, where Peter's still fishing. He's kind of got one fish, foot in the boat, one foot in the world still. And Jesus comes to Peter, and uh, Peter and, and his brother Andrew had just had a long night of, of fishing and catching nothing. They're cleaning their nets, and Jesus jumps in their boat. He starts preaching to the crowd, and at the end of his sermon, he turns around to Peter and says, hey, Pete, let's go catch some fish, bubble." And old Peter says, oh, Jesus, my nickname is Simon the Sea Bass Slayer, don't you know? And it's not, I know a little bit something about fishing. It's not time to fish. We fished last night, which is when it's time to fish, and we didn't catch nothing. So we're not going to catch anything now. This is like the middle of the day. This is not when you catch fish. And just looking at Jesus, but something about him says, but, okay, out of respect, you are the teacher. I'll show you, Mr. Carpenter, what this looks like, but I'll, I'll do it. So they go out and he throws the net, and you know the story. They catch so many fish that they gotta fill two boats. And Peter's response to the Lord Jesus, he gets on his knees, he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I think that's one of the first times he felt God's love for him, because what you see is Jesus initiates, moves towards him, blesses his socks off, despite the fact that Peter doubted him, questioned him, thought he was crazy. 
And yet God lavishes him with something that is right up his alley too. Don't miss the fact that Jesus could have blessed Peter in a thousand ways. He blesses him right where his interests and right where his life is at. He gives him fish, which is going to provide for his family, by the way, for weeks. Because now he can go to the market and sell all these fish. So he blesses him. We have this idea that God loves us so much that he died for us, but that's about it. He's not going to bless you beyond that. No, he lavishes him with extravagant love, and he doesn't deserve it. All he does is done is doubt him. That is love. God moves first and blesses. You know, it's okay to pray, God bless me. Do you know it's okay to play that? It's, as a dad want to bless his kids. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to make you, you know, a millionaire. But it's okay to pray that because God's love is extravagant and he moves first. And for us, I think the idea is this. You want to, you want to be agape? Go lavish someone with goodness who don't deserve it. Your kid's teacher who doesn't like your kid and you don't know why. You bless them on Teacher Appreciation Week. The kids, your kid's coach who doesn't play your kid ever, your kid doesn't even get in on parents' night. That's how bad he is. And you get him a $50 Dix card and say, thank you for coaching our kids. Does he deserve it? No. Has he shown you love? No. That's the point. Your boss who is harsh to you and you go and say, hey, we'd love to have you for dinner sometime. They deserve it? No. And their applications are, are endless, but the idea is you move first. Why? Because Jesus moved first. We know the famous verse. We love God. Why? Because he first, he first loved us. That's extravagant love. That is moving first love. That is agape. That is how we change our name. That's the first thing. Second thing is this, sacrifices. Love sacrifices. Love moves. There's action. God so loved, he gave. And I think if you, you could see this all through Peter's life, but he would come to one incidence. He would tell you it was a normal Thursday for us. I mean, not normal because it was a feast day, but it was just a normal Thursday, a long day of teaching. And we kind of rented a room and went up in this room and we were tired and we were going to celebrate this Passover Seder. You know, we came in and there's that, here's the bowl that you usually would wash your feet, but we were all so tired and there was no bond servant there to wash our feet. So we just kind of all sat down, all nasty and sweaty and dirty feet. And I, I knew that that basin was there, but I was like, I'm oh, Peter, I ain't washing anybody's feet. And no one else seems to care, so I ain't doing it. But then something happened. In the middle of the dinner, Jesus got up. He stripped off his robe and he got on his hands and knees. And he started washing our feet. He got the basin, he started washing our feet. He started with Bartholomew over there and he merged with me to Judas and, and he got to, to Andrew. And he came to me and I was, I, I told him, I told him no. I said, Jesus, you don't wash my feet. Nasty, I got planters, warts, ingrown toenails. No, you ain't touching my feet. Jesus says, if I don't have, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me, Peter. He says, well, then do the whole thing. Wash my whole body. And at the end of the, I'm washing all the disciples' feet. Jesus says, you understand who I am. I'm Lord and Master. You're right. You know what I've done for you. Now go do and like, do you likewise. And what love is, is it sacrifices, it gets, puts prestige and ego and letters behind your name and how important you are. It moves first and it sacrifices and serves, even at great cost. At a great cost. Even at the cost of being right. It's doing what no one else would ever do just because. And here's what we see a lot of in our culture and we see a lot of it in the church, right? Well, I don't feel called to that. I'll pray about that, but I don't feel called to it. Or, I, you know, that's not my gifting. 
right? That's a, I'm really not gifted in that. Really? You mean you're telling me that Jesus is a gifted foot washer? Is that what you're telling me? That was his expertise? Or did he just do it because he's showing what we're supposed to do? So we have a little bit too much like, well, that's, you know, I, that's for someone else to do because I'll, I'll focus in the area of giving. Jesus gives himself. He lays down his godness. This is God. He's an expert in like creating universes, not washing feet, but he does it. And he says, now this is the model. So I don't care if you have three PhDs, if you are expert in X, Y, and Z, there is nothing that is below you. <laughs> That's the point. That's love. And a church that has the name Agape, if it's really wearing that, that name, you would never have to ask for volunteers. You would just say, hey, here's what's going on. And people would be like, Phew. Let me go there. Why? Because I'm not too important to do anything. Because I love and I move. And you, the epitome of that, I, really, and I, this is not a, a hard sell for kids ministry, but kids ministry in our church, which is vital and important, is a great way to check your ego at the door and go doctor, Mr. Businessman, Mrs. CEO, and take some animal crackers to some kids and love on them. It's a great way to love the least of these, right? It's just a great way because it's a need. It serves a family. You do it in obscurity. It's everything that Jesus is calling us to do, right? It's sacrificing, right? It's not looking for payback. It's not all scratch my back, you scratch yours, right? It's God saw a need, he met a need. That's what you do. And I'm awful at this. I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that says, hey, call me if you need anything. Feels, feels good to say that, right? No, no. What love is, is it sees the need and doesn't ask. It just goes and does it. That's hard, isn't it? It's inconvenient, isn't it? It's sacrifice, isn't it? Yes. That's why you need the Spirit of God and the Word of God in you to do it. Because it checks ego and checks convenience and checks everything at the door. And here's where it's really challenging. If, as if that's not enough. Do it for the person that has been nasty to you. And when I say that, you know exactly who I'm talking about. I know you do. The person that you know, when I say, who did something to hurt you? You're like, boop, you forget the name because it's so there. I've been listening to, I just finished it this week, uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Read it several times, but listen to it again on Audible because it's just such a great book. And I was just again reminded and struck. If you've never read it, you need to do read it. If you've never listened to it, it's like an eight-hour uh, listen on Audible. Uh, Audible is for lazy readers like me. Um, but it, it, Corey Ten Boom is amazing. Betsy Ten Boom, her sister, is unfathomable. Because Corey's always complaining, if you read the book, right? She's always like, oh, you know, I'm sad, I'm sad. And her sister Betsy is unbelievable. They're in, they're, they're not even Jewish. They're, they're Dutch. They're from Holland. And they were hiding Jews and they get arrested and they sent to Ravensbrook and all this stuff. And you can, you can read about it, how Betsy, her desire and dream is she's flea-bitten and sick and dying. Her desire and dream is to build a house for people who have been in concentration camps to help them recover. And her other dream is to get a concentration camp and bring Germans who tortured them and were unkind to them to teach them to love again. As she's being treated poorly and, and dies there. How do you do that? There's only one way. The love of God and Christ in me. There's only one way. Because I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going all Nuremberg trials. I'm going all, you know, Red Dawn. She's going all, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what God's calling us to. That's 
why ha- that's why you have to have purification of your soul through obedience to the truth. That's why you have to have a family to help each other do that, stir each other one up. That's radical, y'all. That's the radical life God's calling us to. That's the name he wants us for. Here's the next one. Love speaks fittingly and honestly. Our, our, our words matter. And I can get passages on passages on passages. Uh, Ephesians 5, let no corrupting talk come from your mouth. Only such is good for building or edification as fits the occasion. It gives grace. Proverbs is filled with verses. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Here's, another, here's the other side of that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the en- kisses of an enemy. The, the, the person who's showing agape speaks words that bless and also are truthful and are fitting Right? They address the worst in us and they lift up the best in us. And if you ask Peter, he's got a lot of opportunities here. Hey, how did Jesus do this to you? There's, a, there's an occasion where Jesus did both. He blessed them and he addressed the worst. Jesus says, okay, guys, gather around. Who do people say that I am? Peter's all in the back. Oh, oh, oh I know this one. Speaks first. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Because this was revealed to you by God. But praise God, you have the boldness and you know this. And I'm going to give you the keys to the church. Right? He blesses him and brings out his best. And then a few minutes later, Jesus says, and by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to raise from third day. And Peter said, no, 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 you got that part wrong. The blessing of me, yes, that's a good part. But the the go to the cross and and what are you talking about? No, that's not going to happen, Jesus. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Because your interests are not man, your, or man's interests, not God's. He calls him out and blesses him <laughs> in the same passage, right? And that's, that's agape, that we build, but we also, when necessary, confront. We don't tear down to tear down. That's what the enemy does. You realize that. The enemy is the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He is the diablos. He is the adversary. That is not love. Love builds speaks fittingly, speaks the truth in love. And I'm going to get a little bit of hobby horse, make it emails, probably won't read them about this one because this bothers me. And this is, I've seen this in the church in the last 18 months and I want to encourage you. Uh, COVID has brought out the worst in the body of Christ that I've ever seen in my entire life. It just has. Because everyone's got an opinion and everyone's now a doctor and everyone's now this and everyone knows what everyone else should do. And everyone gets mad about it. And, and my encouragement to you would be, would stop. If you want to get the vaccine, praise God, get it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, praise God, don't. That's your decision. There's not a verse. Don't make it about Jesus would do this. Don't, don't do it. There's no verse in the Bible that says it. So you make a personal decision, just like you do if you're going to have a glass of wine or not, just like if you, if you're going to go vegan or not, just like you do if you're going to homeschool your kids, send them to private school, do whatever. Just hush. You pray about it, do what God leads your family to do, and hush and stop getting, throwing bombs. Why do you think the church has no no impact? Because they see us fighting about this stuff. Make your decision, pray about it, do it, and then live with it. And don't call everyone out. You ought to be, it's just, it's getting absurd. And it's taking away, it's, that's perishable. That's perishable. That doesn't endure forever. No one in heaven's going to be like, man, remember that COVID thing? That was an interesting time for the church. They're not going to be doing it, right? So stop and love one another from a pure heart. Again, you may think that's political. That's not. I don't get into politics on Sunday. I have very strong positions politically. You won't ever know what they are unless you take me out to lunch because I don't talk about politics here. I talk about Jesus here. I'll talk about politics over a steak, our good steak. 
I'll tell you exactly what I think. But not here. Here I will tell you about Jesus. All right? But that's not political. That's the church being like the world. Right? That's what it is. So stop. All right. That's my, that's my little side thing there. Love builds, encourages. It stirs on to love and good deeds. Right? And then sometimes it means having a hard conversation. If your roommate's this and you see it and you see him train wrecking, that you're not so scared. Well, that's their thing. No, you say, hey, I see this and you need to stop. This is not good. Honest. And I think if we're honest, we probably have less than five people in our entire lives beside our parents that do that. Right? Because we, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt the feeling. I don't want to offend. I don't want to, truthful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Right? And so that's what we do. Not in a harsh way. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a guy from my internship. He was a, a pastor at the church I was interning at and he had to do my evaluation and you know strengths weaknesses whatever and he was like made not being big on conflict but he had to come to that section where where, where does Bill struggle where does Bill not so good and he, he was so hesitant about this he's like ah oh, I gotta do this so Bill he's like, he's like Bill you just don't listen very well I said yes I do what are you talking about that's <laughs> something that even still I appreciate him being willing to say because I still don't listen very well but I still need, it's something I need to hear and be reminded of. And yeah, quick to, quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak. One of the elders, where there's been issues in the church where I might, just by nature, I'm not, I, I don't like conflict. I'm not a conflict guy. There's certain people handle it better than me. And I'm not one of those guys that does just because whatever reason, personality, whatever. But there's been times in, in the church and leading and things that he'd be like, this needs to happen and you need to do it. I'd be like, okay, I need that. I need to hear that. I need to do that. And you need to hear that. That's that's the most loving thing you can do. Not in a hateful way, not to tear down, but to build. That's how we bear the name agape. One more. Love forgives, love restores. And you know Peter's story here, right? You know (laughs) this is him. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, that when Jesus died and, and rose again, he appeared to, it says, to Peter, and then to the 12, and then to over 500 people. It's very specific that he appeared to Peter. There was a one-on-one with Peter. We don't actually get it in the Gospels, but Paul says there was a one-on-one with Peter at some point. And you can imagine how that went. We don't have a record of it, but I'm sure it went something like, like this. Jesus, you're alive. I am. I told you that. You didn't listen. Can we talk about Thursday night, Peter, real quick? Because I mean, I remember that whole point where you were like, I will never, everyone else betray you. I will never betray you. And then that little girl said, hey, do you know Jesus? And you said, I don't know him. Remember that? What happened there, buddy? You know, Peter felt shame and guilt over that. But I, I bet in that moment, that's when he heard, Peter, I love you, buddy. And you're forgiven. That's why I died, for that. And then we have his further restoration in the end of John when they're on the beach there and eating some fish. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these guys? He says, you know I love you, Lord. Peter, you love me? He asked him three times, just like he did not in three times. He said, I can use you, Peter. Go feed my sheep. Go tend my little lambs. I'm not done with you just because you messed up. Why? Because love forgives. And that person that I talked about earlier that hurt you the most, that wounded you the most, it's easy to forgive your fellow Georgia fans. Yeah, we won last night. Everything's all good, right? How about the person that wounded you deeply? An ex-spouse, 
a parent, a business competitor who, who trashed your business, make you, make you declare bankruptcy. I don't even know. You got fired falsely. Fill in the blank, a sibling. What, what would Jesus tell you? He would say, you will never have to forgive anyone more than I've forgiven you. And I have given you the capacity and the calling to do this. And so at the end of Corey Ten Boom's book, if you know the story, the, the very guard who used to mock her when they used to parade him through the showers naked and, and all these things was at one of her talks. <laughs> and he came up and he had become a Christian and he said, praise God, Miss Ten Boom, I'm so gr- grateful to be forgiven. And he reaches out her hand and in that moment, she still, she, she, she says, right, my arm wouldn't move. And I asked, Lord Jesus, help me. And her arm wouldn't move. And finally, she said she felt like a warm feeling that she was able to lift her hand. And she said, somehow, supernaturally, God gave her a love for this man who had caused the death of her sister and, and had tortured her. That is what God is calling us to do here. And if we can't do it here, y'all, we certainly won't do it there. And if we can't do it here, then we shouldn't call ourselves Agape Church. Right? Because love forgives. God so loved the world, he forgave. And he says, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. And here, real quick, how do we do this? Well, there's many ways, but he tells us the how and the what in chapter two, verse one. So, again, key word. Here's, here's what I want you to do. He says, put away. And the, and the word put away is like taking off dirty clothes. That's the, that's the language, that's the word. It's like when I go out and run on a hot afternoon and I come home, my wife's like, do not sit anywhere in our house. Now, get in the bathroom, get in the shower. And I do, because I'm nasty. That's the same idea. It's put off that which is nasty. And he gives a bunch of things. Malice, that's like uh, just wanting people to fail. That's, I hope they fail. I hope their business fails. I hope their marriage fails. I hope that kid does this. I hope this kid does this. That's what malice is. This is more than just lying. It's, it's underhanded methods. It's, it's playing a game. It's pretending that you care, but not really. It's using church language, but not really doing anything. Hypocrisy is, is, is play acting. It's pretending one thing and doing another. And how often do we, it's so interesting, we could deep dive in this, that we pretend and hide and pretend everything is fine, right? And portray one thing because we think if they really knew, they would not love me. But the irony of that is the only way someone could truly love you like this is if they truly know how you are. That's the only, that's the reality, right? Put away hypocrisy, take it off. Envy, I want what they have. I wish I was, had their life. I wish I had their spouse. I wish I had their looks. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. It's all about me and me. You can't love if you have this, if you're wearing this, take it off. Slander, tearing people down. And what does that do? Why do we tear people down? To make ourselves look better and make them look worse. He said, take it off. Get rid of it. And do what? Like a newborn infant, like a baby, three months old, waking up at two in the morning, Crying out for mama, feed me. Says just like that. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by you may grow up into your salvation. And pure spiritual milk there is a reference to the word of God. Sometimes in the Bible, milk is used of like the elementary teachings of the Bible and then meat is like the deeper teachings and you ought to be eating meat and not milk. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, you need to long for this, for God to speak, for God to move, to know God, just like a baby longs for milk. Why? Because just like the milk nourishes that baby, this word nourishes your soul. And you need to long for it and you need to crave it. Intimacy with God, knowing God, knowing his heart. Long for it if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And there's no doubt there. It's a first class condition in the original. It's if indeed and you have. You have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You have been the object of his love. You have understood his gospel. You have been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've had the word implanted in your soul. You have these things. So long for it. 
feed on it, digest on it. Because the more you do, the more you do, the more you let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, the more you will be like Christ. And what is Christ? He is love. So that's the idea. That's the key. If you are not in the scriptures as a Christian, then you are playing Christian and, and not, not growing in yourself. It's just a reality. You will not grow apart from the word of God. You just will not, right? You just will not. Clint, when he was addressing the staff this week for our monthly kind of gathering, he, he reminded us, he, he says this all the time, but again, it struck me this week and I felt like it's, it's worth sharing with you. He says, God has not just called us to live for him. He has, but he has called us to live with him. And one of the ways we live with him is in his word, is talking to him, is him talking to us. And so I would encourage you, get in the word. If you just need to read 1 Peter one time through every day for a month, do it. It'll take you about 13 minutes. Read it, digest it, feed it. You'll see, you'll see your heart start to change. You'll, see, you'll start seeing things in the word of God and what God wants you to do, giving direction, right? How can a young man keep his glory pure by keeping it according to your word? So here's some questions as we move to worship. And there's a lot of them. <laughs> you have anything you need to take off? Slander, envy, any of those? Do you have someone that you need to forgive that you are like, you're holding on to it? Maybe you're the one who needs to go ask for forgiveness. Maybe you're the one who wounded that person tremendously and you need to go and say, I was wrong. And whether you forgive me or not, I ask for your forgiveness, please. Is that you? Maybe you need to repent of apathy towards the scripture and say, God, help me to, to, to be consistent in just reading your word and knowing you through your word. Not living just for you. I can't live for you apart from you, right? Just pray. Even pray as we go into to worship that the spirit would take the living word and that it would give you a desire to know it more, a desire to get into it, to long for him. Because you can't do it. I can tell you, you cannot do it. Peter didn't do it, by the way. Peter failed miserably at loving people. Read Galatians. He becomes a racist. He becomes a racist against Gentiles because he gets some pressure from the outside. So even Peter, who knew love and who knew what Jesus said, struggled. So if he can't do it, we certainly can't. You need, you need God. So ask him to do that, whatever is necessary. And use this time as we respond through singing to do that. And let me close with this. Because it doesn't matter if we have great coffee, great worship team, great kids, great groups. Those things are fine. It doesn't matter. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what's required. Here's what he wants to be known for. Here's what he wants our name to be, Agape Church. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. How? Just as I've loved you. You are also to love one another. And here's why. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? That we love one another. So let's do it. Let me pray. Father, thank you that we can be under your word and hear what you call us to. It is a high calling, but you've given us the capacity. You've given us the clarity. You've given us the calling to love each other. And so I pray that this will be true of us, even baby steps, and that we would start seeing people know us for our love, not for our preaching, not for our singing, not for our building, not for anything else, that we love one another. And so prove to be your disciples. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You guys can stand when you're ready.